You're listening to the official podcast of the Libertarian Party of Georgia. Learn about local issues, meet candidates, and find out what we're doing to bring more options to Georgia voters. Now here's your host. Hello, and welcome to the Georgia Liberty Cast. I'm your host, Ryan Graham, the chair of the Libertarian Party of Georgia, and I am joined today by Laura Williams, our vice chair. Hey, nice to be with you. <laughs> Even in the middle of all, everything that's going on, it's important to get the message of liberty out. Yeah, it's kind of rough figuring out what day it is. You know, earlier today you asked me if we were going to be doing the podcast, and I was like, oh, it is it is Sunday. It is, in fact, Sunday, <laughs> but it is hard to keep track. Yeah, I guess I didn't work today, so I should know, but... <laughs> Yeah, but who knows? It still gets confusing. Um, So let's go ahead and dive right into it. Um, At the top of our schedule, we have uh, LP Georgia News. And as always, um, we still need help funding our ballot access lawsuit. If you go to lpgeorgia.com, right at the very top, there's a button called Contribute. And you can just click there and donate. Um, We're still, I think, about $1,000 or $1,200 behind. So um, every bit counts. And we're still supposed to be preparing oral arguments, right, for the 11th Circuit. Yeah, as of now, there is no change to that schedule. Um, but that that court is hearing um, arguments right now um, via Zoom, which is sort of a funny thing. But they have not, uh, they, I guess they're waiting until closer to the actual date, uh, which would be May 19th, I believe. And uh, th- To either move it online or delay it in some way i think it'll be moved online i think that's just what the the move is for these courts because i mean they can't just stop you know right there would be a backup yeah so um i think the idea is that we'll either do it live or on zoom um but we just like i said we haven't gotten the actual even schedule for the day on like where we are on the docket or anything like that yet we just know the date so it's encouraging that The court wants to hear our arguments. So it's important to keep being excited about that, even while we don't know exactly what arguments will look like. Yeah, that's the fun part is that the um, nobody asked for the court to hear our arguments. We actually both made motions to specifically not hear our arguments and uh, just go ahead and make a make a judgment. Yeah. And instead, the, the judge said, you know what, this is an interesting case. And I'd like to hear about it from a human being rather than just reading depositions. Right. So um, that's always a good thing, right? More knowledge is better. I hope so. <laughs> Probably not always, but uh, yeah. <laughs> a little dangerous. knowledge is a dangerous thing and whatnot. Depends on who we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, and then as far as the other court case that uh, the Libertarian Party is involved in, we are, we are not a plaintiff, but we have a candidate who is a plaintiff um, re- regarding um, signatures being collected. Um, there's really no updates there other than the Secretary of State's office has been asking for some more information. Um, it seems like they don't really want to fight it, but they really do. <laughs> They don't they want to be seen fighting it. I, I, but I they think, would no, like I think that's the false part, right? I think they do not want to be seen fighting whether or not we should be out there petitioning during a public health crisis, but they really want to fight it. <laughs> I think. Right. So um, it's sort of a catch 22 for them. And I, I, you know, I've heard a couple of different things that that would be no good uh, for us that, you know, that have been thrown out there. Um, and so we're going to continue fighting that. As long as we can. Um, So other news uh, this week, really, we we actually had a a pretty strong week. If you go to our website and under headlines, you'll see a lot of this stuff. Um, But along with the Coalition for Good Governance, we actually um, signed on to a letter with them and um, the Constitution Party and a couple of local Democratic parties. 
um, asking that the Secretary of State review touchscreen safety. So essentially, like during this crisis, you have these touchscreens which require, well, a screen to be touched, um, as well, you know, and, and, and as well as the cards that the um, that the poll workers have to issue you. And there's all these different touch points, and we're looking at it and we're saying, hey, this is this is not good in a pandemic. Right. This is not an appropriate response, right? It was maybe never a good method of voting. In a pandemic, there are a lot more concerns about the number of interactions that we have to have to get it done. Yeah. So we're asking them to review the safety, essentially, and say, you know, you you guys need to recertify this given the conditions that we are in today, not the conditions we were in when we still disagreed with it, but not the conditions we were in last year. Also, order your absentee ballot now. Because you have a right... To have your voice heard and your vote recorded, it's not at all clear to me that with or without a pandemic, your vo- your vote would be recorded appropriately in the polling place. Right. Right. It, that There's no way to audit those votes. There is a written record, at least, that's readable by humans if you um, use an absentee ballot. So go ahead and order that, which is your right as a citizen, uh, at your leisure, but... Well, and we, we proved that out last year. Smythe Duval had his case um, in regards to the lieutenant governor's race, which saw a dramatic drop in, uh, in voter turnout, essentially, or participation. Right. For in this one Only race. at the ballots. Yeah. And only at the ballots. Absentee oh, were, yeah. only, were just fine. Only but... in certain polling places, right. as a matter of fact. Yeah. Right. The votes for lieutenant governor <clears throat> were not recorded from a number of precincts that skew exactly the way you would expect a disenfranchised voting district to skew. And those votes just disappeared. Right. And the way that the argument went was, well, you don't have any proof. And they said, well, here's what we need to get proof. And they said, well, you can't have access to that information because it's private, you know, polling information. And it says, so you can't get the proof. And so then they just, it just goes nowhere. So they throw it out. Right. And and there was not really a legitimate recording of those votes anyway, right? So you were asking for information from inside the computer system of the Secretary of State, which they have every right to deny, which is part of the problem with doing it inside the computer system of the Secretary of State. Correct. Yeah. So um, that that's something that's going on. We, we signed that. We moved it forward. There's no indication that they've even received it, which is... Um, you know, always fun, but you know, we continue to fight that good fight on, um, we're, we've, we've come out with a resolution that got read on the, you know, the state house floor, um, for hand marked paper ballots. That's what we believe in as a party. And so, um, you know, we're going to continue fighting that fight, uh, every chance we get. So, um, in other news, the justice reform partnership, uh, which is something we're also part of that we usually mention because they're very active and we sign on to a lot of yay Georgia's justice reform partnership. Yeah, it's a lot of good work going on right now, and um, they they sent out a letter requesting that Georgia release basically a ton of nonviolent criminals. They said, look, if these people are not a threat to society uh, or themselves, there's no reason to have them in this very high risk place where like you're in a you know the fulton county jail with a bunch of people at close quarters right when you arrest someone take custody of them you take responsibility for their well-being you've done terribly when tasked with the responsibility for other people's well-being so now that we know about this really imminent threat and of course our attention is drawn to what's new 
That's not to say that the risk is significantly worse than it was for, say, tuberculosis or hepatitis within the prison system. But now that we're all paying attention to the risks of being closely crammed in with one another, would you like to reevaluate whether these people really need to be in your custody and under your care or not? And the idea was basically taking people that were up, up for parole and expediting those requests and, you know, things that were already under review and like just getting it through the system and not not lollygagging and, you know, make sure that these people that were basically already saying probably should be out. Right. Just making sure that they just go ahead and get out. So Whether, um, I wish there were more attention in all of that to pre-trial detention. Oh, yeah, absolutely. If you have the legal presumption of innocence, you should not be held in a high-risk environment against your will. That's crazy talk. Well, and there have been some jurisdictions around Georgia that have been letting people go from jail. And they basically say exactly that, that, like, you know, these people are not a threat to society. So we're just going to go ahead and let them go because of the dangers. And we're like, well, wait, why were they there in the first place if they weren't a threat? Like, isn't that the reason we put somebody in a cage before they're actually accused of a crime? Because they may be dangerous. Right. And it turns out. An invisible virus has significantly shifted the risk, right? People that we didn't mind putting at risk are now visibly at risk and there's public scrutiny. And every additional person who has to come in and out of court or in and out of a prison system, jail system, is an additional risk for corrections officers, for prosecutors, for district attorneys, like, People that didn't have to worry about how your life was getting screwed up have have been introduced to even a fraction of that risk. The guards? Yeah. Yeah. And suddenly there's incentive to reevaluate whether this is really a necessary imprisonment or not. Yeah. Because we've pushed the burden of risk over even a little bit, which tells you indirectly how screwed up qualified immunity is. Oh, yeah. Right? When agents of the state face personal risk, they reevaluate their behavior really quickly. That's right. And we should be uh, encouraging the system to expose them to the risks that they generate. That's right. Yeah. More often. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was, I was, I did feel a little bit better about what's going on in in our jails, um, at least from Fulton County perspective, which I, I think, you know, I've heard a lot of as far as prisons go, right? It's, it's been not terrible things that come out of Fulton County, but, um, the person in charge of, of their prison, um, jail. jail. Yeah. He, he was saying that <clears throat> every single person who goes in and out of that building gets their temperature taken. And if it's above the guideline, they're not either not allowed in or they're, uh, put into a certain place in the population with other people who have, you know, who show s- symptoms of, of COVID-19 well, no, <clears throat> fever is not a symptom. It is uniquely. Uh, no, I know. But that no, it's it doesn't just, make it's sense. Just, to... So there was more to the story. So okay, it yeah. doesn't make sense to quarantine people together because they have a fever. That and, is and, and super dangerous. Quarantine them together doesn't mean put them all in one big room and hope that they're like you know hugging it out. It's they were still like there's a lot of there's the Fulton County prison has or jail has a, has extra space in it. So yes, that's true. Yeah. So it's, Whether they're using it well is a different question. Yeah, there is plenty of space. So it wasn't to say that they were they were putting them together, but they were putting them in a different place, is what I should yeah. have said. Sorry, that wasn't super clear. Yeah, no, but the 
language of the system is not very clear. The, it, and when you separate or segregate someone, that, that may be completely alone, or that may be in a portion of the population that p- causes them significantly higher correct. risk. Yeah. And it's intentionally unclear to us how that language is used. I'm, I'm suspicious, not of your depiction of it. I know. But of, of how the system uses language to obscure what might really be going on. And uh, apparently their track record has been pretty good, though, about not allowing it to spread where they've had a few cases. But, I mean, it's the other problem is is you're waiting on people to be symptomatic, which now the CDC is saying, and Brian Kemp famously said, you know, now we know oh, yeah. that they're News spreading it yeah. asymptomatically, even though we've known it for a little while now. And um, so it doesn't matter if they come in with a temperature or not. They could still have it, and they could still be spreading it. But that's okay, because the Fulton County... Judicial system has now said they're going to posthumously pardon Martin Luther King's Ooh, man. jail record. I didn't put that on there, but what do you what do you think of that? I mean, are you are you joking? Like, I don't remember his legacy being in the face of ongoing injustice. Make trivial, nonsensical, symbolic gestures. I don't remember that being the lesson of Martin Luther King. I remember it being an injustice everywhere, anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Right. Right? If you had 20 minutes to spare, Fulton County justice folk, there are so many more important things you could have done with that time and political Pardon capital. someone. Anyone. <laughs> anyone who's still alive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, what I thought um, was sort of silly about it, and, you know, you can feel free to correct me if I'm wrong here, but um, isn't his jail, isn't his, his criminal record, like, the point of his activism? Like, wasn't that, like, the whole thing? Like, that's the grounds of it, is that he's going to get out there and get arrested for this stuff, for being civil, civilly disobedient? Yeah, I, I don't know <laughs> if that's the whole, the core of it, but that was certainly one of the methods of generating... So if you social scrutiny. So then if you go ahead and you take away this platform that he's created for himself, right? He went out there and he specifically yeah, did the work to get Yeah, I don't know that this many years later that is an essential part of the platform of his message that No, but it's I didn't I, I didn't mean, mean you're going to like necessarily actually take it from him, but built him a library and a commemorative garden and a gravesite in the county. I, they I, had I'm sort aware, of but, moved past that. But but it seems like the county just simply doesn't understand the point is is what well, I mean. Well, that is quite obviously right? true. So that's, yeah. that's more of what I mean. I don't think you're going to actually take anything away from Martin Luther King because of the work he did. Right. But but I feel like it's it's um what's the word? It, it where you like you don't understand what's going on. Like they just, they're just completely, I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say, but they're just totally not understanding. Yeah. Usually you know, I'm, the I'm there to substitute the word that you want. But I know that's okay. There so are anyway, so yeah. many words of varying degrees of politeness. I was for frustrated. What that action is. Yeah. Yeah. And mine's <laughs> usually somewhere in the middle. I'm not, I'm not a hardliner. I'm a, well, I don't know. All right. I keep it, I, I keep it PG here. I keep it G here. I think, um, Anyway, <laughs> well, that's one of us. So another uh, another uh, article that we actually published in LP on LP Georgia website was one about um, wearing masks in public. So it turns out you know, back in the uh, you know what I shouldn't have said that because I don't know I think it was maybe in the sixties. 
Maybe. I'm not sure. 50s, something like that. Yeah, I don't 40s. know. 40s. I don't know. Right. It was, I'm making stuff up at yeah, this point. Yeah, it was Ku Klux Klan yeah. parade related, where the, the state decided and entered into the Georgia Code, which establishes what is a criminal action, that you should not be allowed to wear any kind of mask except under the following few conditions, which were essentially like... Halloween. Halloween, Mardi Gras, Broadway plays, um, officially licensed sports. Right. It, it was a very a very small list. Like and a laughably small list as compared to the reasons that you might wear a mask. To mow your lawn in the height of pollen season, for example. It's not there. Right. Yeah. Or... To be fair, someone else's lawn, because you protected on your own property, but never anywhere you'd, else. You'd think so, but yeah, there's no that, guarantee. I think, that, I think that is written into the code. Oh, so okay. You're allowed to do whatever you want on your own property or a guest on your property. Ah. But people who are carrying out um, occupations which don't <clears> essentially <throat> require a mask, a surgeon is protected on hospital property, a, a hockey goal protector, what? I'm Goalie. Sorry. There you go. Hockey goalie who is playing some sort of officially licensed sport is protected. But Maybe goalkeeper. Oh, boy. I corrected you. I don't know. I actually don't no, know. No, goalie is right. All right. Um, the, I know this from the West Wing. Well, so, like, you know, there's been a couple of times they've, they've uh, enforced that besides KKK and it was, you know, the Occupy movement. They were arresting people during that. And then Antifa recently in, like, the last two years... Um, during a white supremacist rally down somewhere in Georgia where, you know, a dozen people showed up and then like a hundred Antifa people showed up. Um, it was still largely nonviolent. I remember specifically, and, uh, they were still arresting Antifa people because they were covering their faces in public. Which is illegal in Georgia. Which is illegal Regardless in Regardless of why you choose to do it. So right. at the same time that the federal government and local authorities because cdc is local to us if not to anyone else even though it's a national authority uh, they're recommending that people wear masks in public which is a misdemeanor under the georgia code and you could be arrested at any time that is an arrestable offense you can be prosecuted we haven't heard of that happening but that doesn't mean it won't be and now we're hearing of course from underserved communities and communities of color that they are at risk if they don't wear a mask, and they are at interpersonal risk if they do wear a mask. I mean, specifically black males. Yeah, that a people, black man in a yeah. hood and a mask. Yeah, people feel like they're threatened by them when they're wearing masks. And, right. You and know. I won't be exposed to airborne particles, but I might be shot. That's right. not a lot better. Right. And, and it doesn't phase a young white female to walk into a bank with a mask on. Because that's what she's been instructed to do. And she's done the right thing by allowing all of the medical grade masks to be diverted to medical professionals who are in desperate need of them. And so is wearing a half bandana. Right. Well, that's a very different thing when it's a petite white female walking into a bank or a large black man walking into a bank. It shouldn't be. It is is. exactly the same thing. But it is not perceived that way, and there is a differential danger. Yeah, so what got me was when we posted this specifically on Reddit, and um, some of y'all will understand. I don't know why you do it. Because it's exposure. So you get out there and you talk to people. Anyway, so the people on Reddit who saw this immediately said we didn't know what we were talking about, that the law was specifically put in place for the KKK. That's always used for 
And there were court cases that set precedent that said you had to be intimidating or threatening for it to be, you know, but that's not what the law says. So literally any judge could come in later on and say, screw the precedent. We're going to overturn it. I know that, that they don't often do that. Right. But they could. Right. It's still an option that's on the table. And many people pointed to a late 2000s um, proposal that went to the Senate Rules Committee about whether it was appropriate to cover your face for medical reasons and said, look, here it is in the code. <laughs> no, that was a reading on the Senate floor that never even was brought up for a vote. As yeah. far as the criminal code is concerned, it doesn't exist. Yep. So despite us getting crap for not understanding the law, um, I think it was basically two days later that Senator Nakima Williams, who is also the chair of the, the Georgia Democratic Party, and Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms sent a letter to the governor asking him to suspend the law because, lo and behold, it can, in fact, be used for the thing that we were worried it could be used for. Right. And, and those the, people think that this is fine. And the AJC <laughs> wrote it up. Yeah. Right? Well, and we're like, oh, the, the governor is now being encouraged to, like, all right, well, we could have sent the letter to him directly or sent out a press release, but, like, let's not pretend that this hasn't been discussed very, very recently yeah. at a state-level discourse that, whatever, they've become very skilled at ignoring. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a shame. I, I've got people that are, you know, that complain to me and say, you know, why aren't you guys doing enough to get into the news? And I'm saying, well, well we did the same thing that they did. Very similar thing. Mm -hmm. And literally, they get picked up and we don't. There's... there's what do you do at that point? Like, how yeah. do you get in? We only get covered when we do something extremely extravagant right. or stupid or both. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. And, and you spend a not insignificant portion of your time writing into journalists who cover races as though they were two-way races. Yeah. Literally just say my candidate's name. I don't even care if you... Yeah. At you this say point, you're covering the options yeah. for this election. Cover the options. Yeah. It's a state-level filing. You get it from the same office. You can't pretend you didn't know about this or you literally have not checked into the basis of what you're reporting. At this point, I don't even care if you give our, our candidate a paragraph. I just need their name yeah. put in the print. Don't you know? even quote him. Just say it's an option. Just say he's there. Yeah. <laughs> like it's a three-way race. Yep. Yeah. Um, so more into the mainstream news. Uh, you know, that was a... That, Part of that was mainstream and part of it wasn't, but we'll go ahead and get into the next section. Um, so the public health emergency has been extended unilaterally by the governor through May 13th. Um, I think we were a little confused on that. I, I thought that they had passed the version of the law that required a special session to come back in and yeah. approve it, but it, that's not what happened. Uh, the governor was able to unilaterally say his public health emergency yeah. and all his powers that go along with it go for another month. Over 30 days. Yeah. 30 days was supposed to be the max if the original House version had been passed. And, Without and it's that, well beyond. Right. They didn't yeah. have to reauthorize it. Yeah. They'd have to come in and reauthorize it. Then they probably would. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly at this stage. Yeah. But um, but it's still a little weird that they don't have to. So this could happen in... I'm not saying it will. And I'm not saying that it's a big concern of mine at this point. I, you know, I do think that it will end at some point, so I don't want to be like riling something up, but it is a precedent and it's a scary thing to be in a, in this situation where the governor, for whatever reason could unilaterally extend this public health emergency 
indefinitely at his own discretion. Or re-invoke it, which I don't know if it's specifically prohibited, but as we move the understanding of the populace toward this is a thing the governor can do at his discretion, we start to lose ground on whatever the next emergency is. Even if we are less in agreement that it's a public health necessity, um, those lines about what's appropriate start to be dissolved in the mind of the populace. He still couldn't unilaterally pull up a new one. He would have to be extending an existing one at this point, according to the Georgia Code, right? But but to your point, it would be easier for him to, to do that at yeah. this point because we have degraded the idea of... Well, this of, is a fraction of what we yeah. put you through yeah. in COVID-19. Remember that lockdown? Like, this is less of a lockdown. Right. And that will seem more reasonable all of a sudden. And then, um, you know, to right, right along the same lines, the shelter-in-place has been extended through the end of April at this point. Um, and so, you know, just for some relative discussion about that, you know, our, our lawsuit about not being able to petition during this time, um, if the shelter in place is over 31 days, then an extension of 31 days of petitioning is probably just not going to cut it. So it's something else has to give. And, the you know, the Secretary of State doesn't have the power to do it. So I don't know yeah, if what's going to happen there. If the conditions equal, something would have to give. Well, I don't as equal have, as they were. I don't have faith equal. in the former. Yeah. Right? I, I know. That's why you get a, a, a judge to do it. And apparently we got a good judge. So we'll see. We'll see how that goes. But I feel I feel pretty good about it. Our lawyer feels pretty good about it. But either way... Brian, we believe in you. <laughs> yeah, you can't have 31 days be all that they extend it. When, one, we didn't know this was going to happen. So very few signatures were gathered prior to all of this happening. Right. It always is sort of backloaded toward the deadline. Yeah. As almost all community right. work is. You got to ramp you up. Build up. And, yeah. yeah, exactly. And so you just don't know something like this is going to happen. Nobody knew this was going to happen, right? No, Nobody, right? Our, the Georgia Code isn't even equipped to deal with this at this point. So, um, you know, like I said, the shelter in place through the end of April. We'll see, you know, how that goes. Um, doesn't make me feel great about May. But um, interestingly enough, so so as part of that, the primary got moved to um, moved to June 9th, both primaries. So the presidential presidential preference and the general primary in Georgia got moved back from um, when it was gonna be in um, May to June now. And so um, it wasn't moved back as much as Speaker Ralston would have liked. He was out there talking about it a bunch, but it got moved back regardless. Feels like a, it, it totally feels like an ego thing that yeah, it didn't they, get moved back the same amount. They published a timeline that made it look like that was what was possible. <clears throat> I mean, we rush print things all the time. Maybe you can't rush print a ballot to the same extent, but you can move. I don't know. I think it is possible to be much more flexible than they were willing to be. But honestly, I think the primaries are sort of a farce anyway, and I don't care if anyone shows up. That's one of my big things is I'm like, everybody's like, well, what do you think? And I'm like, well, honestly, we're not in the primary, and I just don't care. But what I do care about is the fact that this is such a big deal. Because quite frankly, what needs to be happening 
is the Democrats need to be funding and carrying out their own primary, and the Republicans need to be funding and carrying out their own primary however they see fit. I don't care when they do it, how they do it, or any of that. They or, can have five people in a room with cigars. I don't care. Yeah, or you want to <laughs> pretend that there are no other candidates on the Republican ballot than the president, and you want to block everybody else out, or you want to eliminate all of the options at the national level for... Uh, the Democratic presidential candidate and you want to make it not matter whether people voted or who's on the ballot because there's only one still viable option. I just, I don't care. You're a private corporation. Do whatever you want. And I'm not one of you. So, like, I really don't care. But you still made me pay for it. Stop (laughs) enacting the the farce of it being a public service that needs to be carried out in polling places like that's just not the case and never was yep the georgia libertarian party we self-fund by having our convention people pay for tickets to the convention it's usually a profitable enterprise for us but we self-fund it right we we have our members they come in they pay and then they vote and and we emerge from convention with our with our candidates that's right as it should be yeah yeah that's what makes sense it's the people who really just want to put up and care and we had plenty of opportunities for people to show up for free as well. We gave grants out. Sure. We did all kinds of things. So, like, you know, we had all kinds of different ways that people could uh, participate. And um, none of it was state funded. None of it. Right. Not once. It was all voluntary. It was all people who just cared enough to be there. Right. So, um, sort of on the same note there, um, the ACLU is suing the state. Um, and this Hooray! is pretty much always good news. Uh, I don't agree with the ACLU on everything, but when they get their legal butts in gear, it's usually for good reason. Yeah, not this one, I don't think. Not to well, I don't give have to away, agree but... with them, but it may in fact be a good reason. Well, so this one is to do with all the mail-in ballots that have gone out. So they're you know because they're saying everyone yeah, I think can this do is a, a mail-in weird ballot. Place to take a stand that doesn't necessarily mean that it matters. So. Because they're all having these mail-in ballots and they're not paying for postage, so you have to affix your own stamp to the form, um, they are calling that a poll tax. Oh. Yeah. And so basically they're saying because you have to spend less than a dollar on postage, because that's what a first-class ticket or first-class postage yeah. stamp is, is less, it's, yeah. it's less than a dollar. It's a little bit less, right? It's like 95 cents or something. Somewhere between 50 cents and a dollar, I think. I think it might still be under 50. It's 40, really? 40 something. I, I Googled it beforehand and there was all kinds of, you know, they, they make yeah. it complicated, as no, complicated as it possibly can. I buy can. a few hundred forever stamps every few years and then I forget. Yeah. I forget completely what the price is. Yeah. So, I mean, I just looked in there and I thought it was, you know, somewhere between 50 cents and a dollar is what I sort of thought the average was. And um, I'm, I'm like, it's a that's a poll tax? Like I spend more more in gas getting to my pre- my ballot precinct. Yeah, and plenty of people spend that much to park near a polling place. Yeah, I right? it's yeah. not it's not officially the rule, but depending on where you park, like on how, a city much, street, how much how much does Marta cost you can to get there? Yeah, there are far higher far higher. At least 3 or 4 times the 55 cents, right? Yeah. Um, that you might spend to vote, and we don't really consider that a poll tax. Perhaps we should, but I, it strikes me, as I said, that this is a weird place to take a stand. Of the many injustices, well, I think you have to assume the there's a cost associated with running an election. So you know, we all can basically agree on that premise, right? And so, like, there is always going to be some kind of poll tax. 
no matter what. There's going to be a cost associated with it. And whether or not yeah. that cost is is taken from property owners uh, in the form of county property taxes, and then those property taxes are used to fund county uh, level elections, which is what what this is, right? Counties right. actually run their elections. Or you have to keep elections. a school open so you can go vote <coughs> in the school or whatever. Or pay, you know, pay a postage person to pick up that letter and bring it to wherever, and then the truck driver that moves it, and then the sorter and all that stuff. Like, there's a lot of costs involved, right? So you have to assume that there's some kind of cost that's going to be uh, incurred, and so where's the line between poll tax and not a poll tax? And I think. We we probably all could come somewhere and agree that like you know this is a poll tax and this isn't a poll tax. It probably isn't less than a dollar for a stamp. Yeah, it probably depends on who is enforcing it. Yeah, right. But also, it has to compare to the costs of all alternatives. Right. So, like going to the precinct and gas right. or bus fare or something like that. Yeah. Right. If it's comparable, then like, come on, what are you talking about? Yeah. Again, I'm not. I'm not thinking that it's a bad case or that it has no merit. I think it is a, a weird place. As as the, the common uh, internet nomenclature would say, it's it's a weird hill to decide to die on. Yeah. Well, and I think part of my, my problem with it is, so, okay, so you win, right? And now postage is paid, uh, prepaid. And so oh, you yeah. get you get an envelope that says prepaid postage is fine. That comes out of the county coffers or the state coffers, whatever. And that still is being, you know, the government is funded through through taxation. And so that's still coming out of the taxpayer, the ta- tax base. Right. So the tax base is not leveled as a fair tax, which I guess you could argue a stamp is a fair tax because it applies at the same rate to everyone who wants to participate. And it is generally the way that county and state governments occupy the space is that if you can afford to pay more, you pay a little more. That's not necessarily any more just, but I understand how you would say that one disenfranchises part of the population and the other doesn't. Okay, but so if it comes out of regardless, so there's state taxes that are getting taken out of everybody's bank accounts. There's county taxes that are getting taken out of everybody's bank account. So you can't say, like, it might not be fair. It might disproportionately um, affect people who can afford it, right? And and so there, you, therefore, you might say it's fair. But you would still be taking something from the sure. people who you're trying to protect here. And you're so you're saying, like, okay, so you're agreeing there's a line. And- right. I think the connotation of a poll tax is that it's meant to disenfranchise people who can't afford the 55 cents. Right. And so if you redistribute that up the county pay scale, that's a win. Yeah, but I don't, I mean, the people in Peoplestown might, might disagree with you about property taxes being, you know, disproportionately (laughs) allocated above, you know, like they're getting hammered by property taxes right now. There are marginal cases (laughs) in literally everything. I know, but I'm just saying like, like it's, you can't bring up that argument and then me not I have some evidence here to the contrary, right? That you're not just affecting people who are rich, essentially. So, all right, uh, we'll go ahead and move on to the next news story I had today. I saw that Georgia Carey is actually suing Fulton County to resume issuing gun licenses. So the people who issue gun licenses have been considered, have been deemed uh, not necessary 
And uh, Georgia Carey is saying, yeah, yeah, they are. Like, if you're going to require a license to, for me to own a firearm, then they are necessary. Yeah, then so you must leave them open during a time of crisis, which is when many people would say it's more important to be able to get a firearm if you want one. Apparently firearms are, you know... Flying off the shelves. Yeah, flying off the shelves, so... Yeah. But crime's apparently down, in general. Overall. That's really hard to say, though. I guess. I. They have reports, reported incidents have gone down. Yeah, but we as libertarians know that reported crime is not crime, and prosecuted crime is not crime. That's true, but and you would, I, I, I would not expect, you know, there is some portion of crime that is not reported at all times. I would expect that proportionally to remain the same. So if if one is decreasing, I would expect that both of them are decreasing. I would really need to know more about how those statistics are collected. That's true. It's, I mean, I would, I would. Be willing to bet it's just crime reporting from police departments, which is why they always ask you, you know, every time you hear something, if you hear gunshots, call us. If you, right. you know, if somebody damages your property, call us. Don't just deal with it because they want to report it so that it goes into their numbers and, and all that. But, you know. Yeah, it's supposed to be part of how they allocate resources. Right. If there are regular gunshots in this part of the city, then we will send more patrol cars there. Whether that makes any difference or not is hard to say, but... Whether we it's want more a, patrol cars or not. Yeah, or that would make anything safer. <laughs> right? Because who knows how many times when you hear gunshots, it's a police weapon. Right. As was the case, what, two weeks ago for us? Yeah. It's not It's not pretty. Uh, so one more story was um, Kelly Loeffler. Uh, uh, I know. So she's in this sad whole... Sad trombone. <laughs> She's in this whole thing where she got in trouble for for insider trading, you know, knowing about a lot of the dangers of COVID-19 beforehand and then selling off a bunch of stocks that seemed to be related to things that would not do as well. And then buying a bunch of stocks in things that seemingly would do well, like teleconferencing. Um, She's saying she's got no control, right? She's got a third party person who handles all of those transactions. That's the way it's supposed to work. I agree. Um, it's not a blind trust, which nope. is what you would expect it to be. Um, it is still just a third party that does purchase. I mean, I, I have Charles Schwab, right? So they they make all my. I don't I don't tell them to do anything for me either. It's not to say I can't, right? Because it's not a blind trust. I could call them up and be like, "Hey, how come you're not buying this? Could you buy this?" And they would. Sure. Um, Especially if they could look up your name. And see that you had inside information. Yeah. On the, if you have a DC phone number. Right, and the congressional email address, they're going to take that recommendation slightly more seriously. Yeah, and maybe actually make some choices on behalf of their other clients, too. Yeah, who knows? Um, but the, the funny thing was, is her her move this last week was to sell off all her other stocks, basically to prove that she doesn't have control over her stocks. So she sell, she's she's liquidating all of her all of her stock options, and she's buying up all kinds of, you know, I, I'm not actually very big into the stock market or anything. But she's buying up something else that's not related to stocks in general, right? Yeah, I didn't follow the news story. Yeah, no, just so I think I think it's hilarious that like her whole defense has been I have no control, but here I am, I'm going to make this decision about yeah, my <laughs> about fair. my portfolio. <laughs> You're like, uh what? That doesn't make any sense. In other news, 
She's up for re-election. Pay attention. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, vote Brian Slowinski. Brian Slowinski. Brian Slowinski. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, that's all I had on my agenda, but, um, I know that Laurie had some, um, some other news on, on hers. Sure. Don't call the police on your neighbors. Please don't. I I don't know if this is necessary for people who have made it this far in a libertarian podcast, but tell a friend, right? There is a huge middle ground. You can acknowledge that the threat of the virus is serious, that the recommendations and social pressure for everyone to abide by social distancing and maybe lockdowns, all of that is important, that we need to protect our most vulnerable. And you can still oppose the instinct of the state to criminalize everyone who doesn't play along. You don't know why people are making the choices that they're making. And that's Sort of the point is that everyone makes their choices individually. Um, I was speaking to an acquaintance this this week who is a construction worker, and it is his responsibility to be on site because he is considered essential. He has a hole in his boot, and he cannot replace his boots because the sale of clothing and shoes is considered non-essential by the state. Right. It's not even that I'm mad that the state didn't foresee that. I think it's inevitable that when you make decisions from the top down, you cannot foresee the individual decisions that people might make or might feel obligated to make. Right. You don't know why people are leaving their house during a lockdown. You don't know why they're having a conversation with another human being in their driveway. Leave People alone. Yeah, if right? you don't you like it. You are the threat to the social order. If you don't like it, don't call the police. Stay six feet away from those people. Yeah. <laughs> and if you wish that your neighbor would conform, say something to them. Yell to them from a safe distance if that feels right. 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 But if you call the police on that person, you put them in immediate physical contact with a police officer who is not going to be able to stay six feet away. You run the risk of putting them in some sort of confined space like a police car or a holding cell or a jail cell in which they will not be abiding by social distancing and are exposed to people who are also not able to socially distance themselves voluntarily. It's just, it's a mess. And you can't possibly know what pressures other people are under. Do not call the police. There have been a, a number of jokes. I mean, it's a dark form of humor. About if you call the police on your neighbor who is breaking this, I saw this in shelter and split. I saw this in in response to small businesses, right? If you see the doors of a small business open, whether they're doing business or not, they're not supposed to have their doors open. If you see the doors open and your instinct is to call the police and have someone come check on them, you are the person who would have turned in Harriet Tubman and Anne Frank and her family. Yeah, absolutely. There is a certain amount of desire for social order over consideration for whatever anyone else might be going through that we should be very wary of. We still have a great deal of personal discretion. You're not going to be held criminally responsible for not reporting someone. Like, just mind your own business. My standard is basically I'm not going to call the cops on anybody that I'm not pulling a gun on. Right, because that's essentially what you've done. That's what you're doing, Yeah. Call the guy with the gun to come handle it. Right. 
Because I'm not, I, you know, I, I'm the chair of the Libertarian Party of Georgia. I'm not a gun person, right? Who'd have thought right. that? But I would consider law enforcement to be my weapon. And so I don't, I would not call the cops on anybody that I wouldn't technically pull a gun on, which right. is pretty much no one. So, right. If you've escalated that situation to that point, that's what you've agreed is necessary. Yeah. And at that point, it's probably too late to call the cops anyway. So, you know. <laughs> yeah. If someone's trying to break into your house, feel free to call the police. Right. You fund them anyway. Yeah. Recover a little bit of your stolen property at the moment that it most matters to you. If they get here on time. Yeah, really just leave your home. Yeah. Right. I, there's this Different problem. crystal clear moment in my mind when I had an apartment in D.C. and something fell off the wall and broke and shattered. And I was sure someone is breaking into the apartment. And I know for a fact that what I would do is go out the door and be halfway across the parking lot calling for help. We're like, whatever. Whatever you want in the apartment, it's yours. I'm out. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, and that's probably the right move. Yeah. If you have that exit. Yeah. Then you come creeping back into your own space later and feel like a lunatic when you see that the hook fell out of the wall. Yeah. (laughs) Did you have anything else? I feel like we're right on time. Well, yeah. We don't really have a time limit. We're under an hour. That's good. Um, All right. So if you don't have anything else, then um, I would like to invite people to go to lpgeorgia.com. Check out the things that we're writing about. A lot of the stuff that we talked about, we've posted um, a lot more detail there on like articles and press releases, letters and things like that. Those are all there. Um, If you go to, uh, you can email podcast at lpgeorgia.com if you're interested in letting us know how we're doing or what you want to hear us talk more about, or if you just want to be on the podcast. Yeah. Um, it's, is, this is a membership type thing. It doesn't have to be Lara or I and or I. If you want to do an interview with Lara, that's fine. If you want to do an interview with me, that's cool too. Um, yeah, if you've made it this far into the podcast, you are a good candidate for a guest on the podcast. But what you should really be doing is rating and reviewing this yeah. podcast everywhere you can. That's how we move up the charts. That's how we get in front of more people's eyes. So rate it five stars and say something obnoxious about how we talk to each other, the fact that we laugh on the air or whatever we say too much that we don't recognize yet. doesn't matter at all what you say. Just rate it five stars and (laughs) and, uh, make sure that it gets in front of a few more eyes than it would have otherwise. And um, if you want to be part of the conversation, um, a lot of us are on our Slack workspace. So if you go to lpgeorgia.com slash Slack, you'll be able to find us there. Um, We pretty much have opened it up. That's an open invitation to anyone who wants to just come and chat with us. So um, feel free. If we should be talking about something more or should we be talking about something less, it's an all-volunteer organization. We are open to whatever you think we should be focused on, especially if you want to be the one that focuses on it. And we will be of help to you in every way we can. Uh, But we can't be everywhere at once. And we are eager for whatever you think is important to be the thing we do next. All right. Well, that's about it. Thanks so much for tuning in. Bye, y'all. You've been listening to the official podcast of the Libertarian Party of Georgia. The theme song for this episode was Metaltania by Kevin MacLeod, released to the public domain through freepd.com. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to rate us and leave a review. You can email the show's producers at podcast at lpgeorgia.com. If you're a libertarian in the state of Georgia, don't forget to find your local affiliate at lpgeorgia.com. <laughs>